Oh, God in heaven, I want to invite you into this building today. I want to invite you into our hearts to fill the void that is created by the loss of our two members, to fill the void that is created by other losses in our lives. God, we were created for something better. I pray that today you remind us of what that better thing is. In Jesus' name, amen. My grandfather, Richard Billy Clark, still waits in eager anticipation for that cloud. He will be 90 years old next month, and he has been waiting a long time. Where is Jesus? I know that many times in my life I have asked, you know, why hasn't he come yet? The Seventh-day Adventist Church is, is really built on the foundation of, of the concept. You know, Seventh-day Adventists, we believe in the Advent. And we have been waiting for this. You know, people have been waiting for this ever since Jesus left the first time, right? When his disciples stared up into the clouds and the angels said, he's going to come back the same way that you saw him go up. And we've been waiting ever since. Where is he? Hebrews 11 lists a number of faithful people who believed the promise of a better country. But Hebrews 11.13 notes, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. Where is Jesus? Peter writes in 2 Peter 3, verses 3 to 4, Scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Where is Jesus? Today I want to ask two questions. One I've already asked, where is Jesus? But the second one, which I think actually is is just as important, is what are we doing about it? If we believe that Jesus is coming again, how should we live? How does that impact us? And what is it that, that we believe truly about the second coming? Is it just some event that is far in the future? Or is it something that is an event that has uh, implications for the way we live right now? If we want to know something about the end of time, where do you usually go in your Bible? Book of Revelation, right? This is the book that we always turn to. There are passages all over the Bible about the second coming, but Revelation is by far, um, you know, just the whole book is dedicated to events of the, the end of the world. And so we naturally go there uh, when we talk about Jesus coming again. It is important to understand that John describes four different places in heaven. So if you want to think about the world that John is imagining, um, he describes events in where? In heaven. In, so not quite earth, but in the clouds, in the sky, right? Or we could call it mid-heaven. Then what events on earth and and in the abyss or in the sea? Okay, so these are four different places. Heaven, the sky or mid-heaven, earth, and the abyss or the sea. Jesus is in three of these places. We see movement between three of these places. Movement between heaven, mid-heaven, and earth. I want to look at three specific second coming illusions that we see in, um, in Revelation and see if we can detect some kind of a movement. Is Jesus just staying in heaven or is he moving in the direction of earth? And the whole point of, of this exercise is just to see 
not only where is Jesus, but, but what is Jesus doing? And um, if we detect movement, if we see him moving from heaven towards earth, should that not create in us a sense of urgency? So I want you to turn with me now to Revelation 6, 12 to 17. This is the first of the allusions to the second coming. This is not actually a second coming passage. People get it confused a lot of times. Um, this is an allusion to the second coming. That's Revelation 6, 12 to 17. And this passage is occurring right after the sixth seal. So these are events taking place after the sixth seal. When you get to Revelation 6, 12 to 17, say amen. Amen. Okay. So, reading now. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island were removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? Where is the throne? It's in heaven. Okay. So Revelation 4 verse 2 says that a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. So the throne is in heaven. In Revelation 6, where is Jesus? Him who is seated on the throne. Okay. So the people are seeing him who is seated on the throne through a rent in the sky. Remember when Stephen was stoned, he saw heaven kind of parted and he saw Jesus standing um, in heaven And this is the same kind of scenario where people are looking up at heaven and and it's like heaven is just ripped back like a scroll and they see him who is seated on the throne. So who is it that's seated on the throne? It's Jesus, okay. Revelation 3.21 says, The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on the throne. So Jesus and the father share the throne, okay. Well, the passage in Revelation 6 sounds a lot like the second coming. I mean, you have earthquake, you know, the moon turning, turning what, to, to blood? Or is it the moon turning black? Turning to blood. Yeah, the sun becomes black as sackcloth. Um, this is very apocalyptic. But this is not quite the second coming. Because where is Jesus? He's in heaven on the throne. He's not here, okay? So Jesus needs to get here. But this is this is you know kind of the first thing that the, the first allusion to the second coming that that tells us okay things are really starting to pick up speed uh, he is coming soon but he's still in in heaven let's look to another passage Revelation fourteen fourteen Revelation. 14, 14. and here we we start to detect some movement say amen when you're at Revelation 14, 14. Okay, reading now from Revelation 14, 14. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man, with a golden crown on his head, and a sharp sickle in his hand. 
Okay, so here's another term for Jesus, son of man. This is part of the judgment. It's not yet the second coming. But where is Jesus now? He's not in heaven. Where is he? He's on a cloud. Okay, he's on a cloud in the sky. Remember we talked about the four places? What are the four places? Heaven, mid-heaven or the sky, earth, and the abyss. Okay, so he's not in heaven anymore. He's in mid-heaven or in the sky. He has moved. Do you, do you see that? There is movement. He's not just sitting still, doing nothing, up in heaven, twiddling his thumbs. He has moved. But he's not here yet. So he's getting closer. He's on his way, but he's not here yet. Finally, turn with me to Revelation nineteen eleven to 16. This is the last of the three second coming illusions. And this is actually the second coming. Reading Revelation nineteen eleven to 16. Say amen if you're there. Okay, good. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is the ultimate Independence Day. This is Jesus riding forward onto the earth, and he's going to decimate evil. He's going to get rid of death and sickness. This is independence. Jesus is sitting, but this time he's not sitting on a cloud. He's not sitting on a throne. You notice he's always sitting. (laughs) Sitting on a throne, sitting on a cloud. Where is he sitting now? On a horse. And where is he? He is riding out onto the earth to make war with the beast and the kings of the earth. He is here. This is it. This is it. Revelation makes it clear that Jesus is not wasting his time. Throughout the book, we see his gradual movement toward earth, toward the final moment when evil is defeated and toward us, his people. Jesus is not wasting his time. Now, I don't want you to think that that this means that Jesus is on a cloud right now, slowly, slowly, slowly making his way to earth. It's not like, you know, space shuttles that take however many years to get to Mars or something like that. That's not the point. The point is the actions of Jesus, the judgment, um, the, the things that he's doing in heaven for us right now, they are a movement towards his coming. Okay, so it's not, it's not that he's literally, you know, taking a long time to, to get here physically on a cloud, but the things that he is doing are a preparation for the end of time, for the time when he takes us home. Jesus is not wasting his time. But what are we doing? Ascot, Berkshire, England, 1971, morning. John Lennon sits at a Steinway piano working out the chords and words to what would become his most beloved song. Yoko Ono, whose poem Cloud Peace inspired the words, watch, watches as he works. Used as an anthem of peace and unity around the world, the song calls for listeners to imagine 
there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us, only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Later in the song, the lyrics read, Imagine no possessions. I wonder if you can. No need for greed or hunger, a brotherhood of man. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. Remember Second Peter 3, verses 3 to 4. Scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. It is easy to forget about heaven, to live as though earth is our only home. It seems like we have been waiting for so long. But Peter continues, with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He is coming, and we dare not imagine that, he, that there is no heaven, because heaven is drawing steadily nearer. We need to live like Jesus is already on his way. Imagine all the people living for today. John Lennon hits on an interesting idea with these words. He supposes that heaven takes away from daily living, that it interrupts, that the idea of, in, of eternity interrupts our ability to live in the present. That is not true. Eternity does not interrupt daily living. It is because we live in the shadow of the coming cloud that we live for today. Because how we live today is a reflection of how we will live for eternity. You know, they say that, that you, um, you can't take stuff to heaven, but you can take relationships. You can't take stuff to heaven, but you can take your character. And your character, you know, we have this idea of sanctification. And, and yes, you know, we will be perfected at the, at, when Jesus comes again. But that does not, is not just waiting until he comes. We can't just wait for Jesus to, you know, for the second coming, for Jesus to do all that work at once. Sanctification is a process. It's the work of a lifetime. And if we don't allow Christ to begin working in us now, here on earth, how is he going to do anything when he, when he comes? You know, if we haven't allowed him to have control of our lives, we're not going, he's not, how can he recognize us? You know, he, he has that text, text where he says, you know, oh, I, I, I fed the poor and I visited the, the, the person in, in, you know, whatever, or, or no, I cast out demons in your name and I did all this, this stuff. And he says, but I don't know you because you haven't given me control of your life. I need, I need to be able to enter your heart. We may not take our possessions to heaven, but we will take our characters. At the end of 2 Peter 3, Peter writes, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? 
But according to his promise, so see, he is going to fulfill his promise. Because he is going to fulfill his promise, we should be living a certain way. He is not slow to fulfill his promise. He will fulfill his promise. Because he is going to fulfill his promise, how should we live? According to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, Peter is emphasizing this point over and over again. God is faithful to fulfill his promise. Since you are waiting, how should you live? Since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Since you are waiting. What are we doing while we wait? Peter tells us that we must be diligent to be found without spot or blemish and at peace, living lives of holiness and godliness. This is not accomplished by staying away from society. You know, many times throughout history, people have thought that they they need to go to a convent or a monastery or live in seclusion or go stand on top of a pole. Um, That is not the way to holiness and godliness. Jesus was very much involved in the lives of people. And he is the holiest of all. If he is holiness, then we should be imitators of him. He didn't stick his head in the sand like an ostrich and pretend that bad things were not happening. We cannot afford to ignore the injustices and and the pain in the world around us. Jesus didn't do that. He he confronted it. He dealt with it. He offered help and, and love and solutions and healing. He offered healing. And if we are to be his healing hands and feet in the world, then we need to be doing something. We need to be acting on behalf of others. We need to be Jesus' hands and feet. We need to live like Jesus is already on his way. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, It is only by living completely in this world that one learns to have faith. By this worldliness, I mean living unreservedly in life's duties life's problems, successes, and failures. In so doing, we throw ourselves completely into the arms of God, taking seriously not our own sufferings, but those of God in the world. We need to take the stuff seriously, the stuff that you see in the news. I mean, it's, it, I don't even like watching the news anymore. I'm not sure that I ever did, but I really don't enjoy watching it now. It just seems like the world is just falling apart. Um, but we, we, have to, we can't bury our heads. We have to take it seriously, and we have to find ways in which we can serve those around us who are suffering, who are in pain. There is so much pain in the world, and even if we can just offer arms to hug someone, we we don't have to have all of the money in the world to, to solve all of the problems. We can't solve all of the problems. You know, it's interesting because you have people like Elon Musk who... They're concerned about uh, the resilience of, of humanity, and so they want to go, um, you know, populate Mars. Um, we can't solve the problems of the world on our own. It's, it's just not going to happen. We need Christ. But Christ in us can still work in the lives of other people to help to ameliorate some of the pain that we're experiencing. We can't solve the problems. But that doesn't mean we should sit by and pretend that they don't exist. I'm not advocating a social gospel. What I'm advocating is a lived gospel. If we believe that Jesus is coming soon, then we of all people should be living for today so that we can live for eternity. Every moment counts. 
Every interaction is a chance to show someone the love of God. We need to live like Jesus is what? Already on his way. My grandfather, Richard Billy Clark, has lived with the second coming in mind for all 90 years of his life. After graduating from Loma Linda with a degree in medicine, he worked in Nepal in a small missionary hospital in the foothills. Later, he became a pastor and served in Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland for several years. When my grandparents were in their 70s, they went back to Nepal, climbing mountains to get to the little village where they were going to serve. Just a few years later, they went back to Ireland. It is the knowledge of Christ's soon return that prompted my grandfather's life of service. Because Christ is coming soon, my grandfather helps others. The world that John Lennon imagined will never exist, at least not on this earth. We cannot cure greed and hunger, but as Christians, we have a duty to fight against them. When Moses spoke to the Israelites before they entered the promised land and gave them God's statutes and rules in Deuteronomy 12, by which they should live, he said, justice and only justice you shall follow, that you may live and inherit the land that the Lord your God is giving you. It's a promise for life and it's a promise for inheritance. If everyday choices and actions mattered for the Israelites entering the promised land, don't you think they matter for us entering the promised land? In the first chapter of Second Peter, Peter writes, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to live like Jesus is already on his way. Jesus is not wasting his time. He is coming soon. What are we doing? I would like to challenge you to imagine, not in the way that John Lennon did, imagining a world without heaven, but to imagine the reality of heaven and to let that reality shape your life from day to day. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these things, be diligent to be found in him, without spot or blemish, and at peace. Let's live like Jesus is already on his way.